all the bricks. I got cars and guns and gadgets. I got ladies with big brains. I got licenses to kill. I got licenses to fish. I got sexy suits for their miles. To kiss my biggest wish. I like a quantum of solace, but no more than a quantum. I know they do big bags of solace, but I don't want them. I only want a teeny tiny slice of solace before I shoot you. Hello once again, listeners, to the final chapter of the quadrilogy of Bondwob episodes, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my regular best of worst of British co-host... Hello, I'm Tom Hodkinson, licensed to thrill <laughs> your mum. We've been working our way through three of the four lowest-rated Bond films. We've done a Connery, we've done a Moore, we've done a Brosnan... And now we've got to finish it off with the man that many consider the greatest Bond of all time, but they certainly don't consider this his greatest film. I would like to find one that does one day. What are we talking about today, Mr. Hodkinson? Today we're talking about quite possibly the most stupidly titled, but also the most boring of all the Bond films. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode is all about the quantum of solace. I was always very interested to meet you. I'd heard so much about you from Vespa. If she hadn't killed herself, we would have had you too. Are you going to tell us who you work for? The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. I thought I could trust you. You said you weren't motivated by revenge. I'm motivated by my duty. I think you're so blinded by inconsolable rage that you don't care who you hurt. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. You don't have to worry about me. Restrict Bond's movements. Put a stop on his passports. Find Bond. How long have I got? 30 seconds. That doesn't give us a lot of time. As always, we can't do it on our own. We've brought on a special agent just for this special mission. And he is a man that is a comedian, a writer, soon to be broadcaster, and a virtual snooker player. He is the one and only, the wonderful Mr. Tom Mayhew. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for doing uh, this with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I, I am licensed to chill out with your mum and make her a cup of tea. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> See, two sides of the same coin, I feel. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think that's... We've got, we've got all the bases covered, basically. Oh, Excellent. Maybe, maybe, I wonder if there is one of the double O's who's like very happily married and really doesn't care for the whole shagging element of the job. <laughs> I argue it was Trevelyan, then things went sour. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, Tom, uh, we first of all do a little chat with our guests about stuff outside of film and outside of Bond before we uh, get into it. First time I met you, you may not even remember this actually, I can't remember if I've mentioned it afterwards, was when you did a, a shared bill at the Edinburgh Fringe a few years ago with the Dell Cliff. Yes, I remember this well. I remember the, the month well. I remember the... <laughs> The tent very well, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a great venue. Uh, tough time, I would have thought, because it's... I wouldn't call it a venue, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, well, it's a venue that was very popular, like the whole... It was the Three Sisters, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. That always seems to be one of the more popular ven- uh, places for people to go for free shows, <laughs> but also maybe not necessarily the ones that will be a good, respectful audience when you and Adele started at like 10.30pm or so, I think it was. Yeah, they were very, very drunk. It was in a little tent. We had some very nice audiences, and we also had some absolute bellends. Mm. But, but then again, I've apologised for this. <laughs> well, you did, you did, you did, but then you came back again the next day. It was horrific. And he because I for had that. too much rum, okay? <laughs> what, every day of the month? Yes. I won a competition. <laughs> that is Edinburgh, to be honest. Yes, but then a couple of years later, I remember you really did become one of the hot acts of the, was it the 2018 Fringe, where you brought um, I, Tom Mayhew, where you really, I may be misremembering, but I don't remember your stuff that I saw being particularly political at the time. I might be misremembering it again, sorry. But uh, no, it really it was. No. So, so was that a conscious thing you wanted to do? And has it, was it a risk you were worried about? Because it really does seem to have paid off insofar as you're like uh it seems like when a lot of uh guardian articles need to we need that working class one (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's got all right man it's got all right that was that was 2019 that was um um, i mean production started in 2018 Mm. to to make it like a film i suppose but um yeah no that was i guess it was it was just i've always thought comedy should be talking about stuff you you care about and uh that's what I really cared about, and that's what I still really care about. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to write a show about. Because writing writing a show is very different to doing a a 20-minute set, you know. So I guess uh, that there should be some gear shift in, in what you do over a show than what you do in a split bill or a, a, a club set. When did you start to sense a, a momentum going with that show? It was really nice. It kind of grew throughout the month. So, you know, it started like a lot of... Edinburgh shows started with like single figures, audience numbers, and then by the first week we had a, a couple of good reviews, and that was really nice. And then we had a couple of more good reviews, and then it, it was selling out by the end of the run. So it was really nice to feel uh, about two weeks in, it was like, okay, I'm happy with how this is going. And then it went even better, and it was, yeah, just lovely, really, really nice. And is this the sort of path you think you'll continue to go down, that sort of wearing your politics on your sleeve and trying to be a voice for the working classes, as you, at least as you perceive it? Is that sort of where you want to go, or do you ever worry about being pigeonholed now, or, or is it fine by you? I'm all right to be pigeonholed if it pays me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm fully all right with that. Like, I'm not going to turn down a, a paycheck. And I'm all right. I think everyone needs... Uh, you know, in comedy, you, you kind of need a thing, you need a selling point, and um, I like talking about this stuff, and also I don't think there's anyone really talking about this stuff uh, from my perspective in, like, in the industry, really, so I'll, I'll keep doing it, and if it, if it keeps doing well, I will keep doing it, but then uh, if someone else wants to pay me to do a, a slapstick hour, <laughs> then 
you know, if, if they're if they're paying me the right price, they want me to be the new um, Mr. Bean. I, I think in, in this economy, we'd all be silly to to rule anything out. I reckon. And at the time of recording, it hasn't come out yet. But are you currently writing, or is it already set up? The Radio Four series you had. We're currently still writing it and working on it because we've basically had to uh, push everything back as far as we can because of the the pandemic. So we're just pushing it all back, spending as much time as we can on it, and it's going to record in early twenty twenty one. So yeah, we're still we're still working on it and putting it together. But that's that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I'd say it's getting pushed back very much like the new James Bond film, No Time to Die. In yeah, cinema. yeah, yeah. Hopefully now. <laughs> that's yeah. That's why we're not sure exactly as to when when this comes out. If the if the show has already come out and been a huge success. And oh yeah, won I mean, a, it will be. Yeah, because uh, by, by the time this podcast is out, it'll be twenty twenty five when the new Bond's out. Yeah. <laughs> and look, Craig will be an old, withered man <laughs> rolled onto the red carpet. <laughs> well, let's get into that then. Are you a film fan yourself? I mean, obviously, the the show that you did, I Tom Mayhew, and the poster art for it was it was obviously inspired, at least in presentation, by the Ken Loach film I Daniel Blake. Are you a a big film goer yourself? I would put myself kind of in the in like the medium category of I, I you know I I like film I like a lot of film I do go and see a, a fair amount and I like to keep up to date with what's at what's you know going on but I've not seen some obscure Russian film from the eighties or something I've not I've not I've not seen a lot oh, of the films. I'll, okay, I will. I'll check it out later. Then. I will. <laughs> I believe that's the official title of it as well. Some yeah, Russian film from the eighties. But yeah, I, I, Tarkovsky. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'd put myself on the uh, the the middle ground between Lorcan and Michael Bell. I'm in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Luke. It's, a very, it's a very interesting middle ground to be in. Very beardy as well. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, um... Awful lot of jumpers involved. <laughs> Rightly so. In the winter, when this is released, winter or <laughs> the, the nuclear winter that it's released. <laughs> <laughs> um, we hope you're enjoying this broadcast in the wasteland. <laughs> and so, from there, then, Tom, what is your relationship with James Bond? Were you? It seems like everyone that we talked to so far, it's been a thing that they maybe watch with their dads on the telly when they were growing up. Is that similar for you? No, I'd say so. A lot of them would be on typically ITV, so you'd get the, the lovely James Bond with full advertising experience going on, which would always be nice. And yeah, I'd, I'd watch, I can remember the, the Piers Brosnan ones, probably the ones I, I watched the most on telly with Dad. It'd be on, it used to be on like a Sunday, you just put it on and just watch it. Um, so that's kind of my main memory of them growing up. I never was a huge, you know, I I quite like them. They're quite enjoyable, but I wasn't a fanatic about them. I've never had like a box set, and I never went back and I've not seen any of the ones pre, uh, pre probably pre Sean Connery. I don't think I've seen anyone before him. So I've not, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the series. But uh, if it's on on a Sunday, you watch it, you you have a bit of fun, but then you don't really think about it. Because it was your pick out of a Quantum of Solace or Spectre as to which one we did. Uh, had you had you seen both of those films before, or was it just just reputation that you decided to go by by picking Quen, uh, Quantum Quantum Solace? Oh, it's well, a terrible I, title. It is. I mean, that's I the think that title. Yeah, it's the it's the worst title of any any Bond film. Um, 
And I believe I read on Wikipedia the title was just taken from a short film, which has nothing to do with this film. So that's mm. that's great to have. You know, we should uh, all it, definitely it, do that. It's a toss up for the worst Bond title between this and Octopussy. Absolutely <laughs> up there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I chose this one because I'd say the first Bond film I really loved uh, was probably Casino Royale, and then this was the the very you know, it's it's not an awful film, but it's it's disappointing in comparison. As a sequel, you did go, oh, it wasn't as good, though, was it? You know, mm. very underwhelming. I, I that's, have... yeah, that's that's the word, underwhelming. You just think like, oh, that was fine, which is not what you want when you followed on from such a fantastic film as Casino Royale. I do have an alternative title for this. It's the Bond Identity Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> it's very droll. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but the one is inter- this is going to be a really interesting one to discuss because I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not going to be Michael Bell about this, but I think this film gets a bad rap that is not entirely justified. But don't worry, I have plenty of things to complain about when we get into the the nuts and bolts of it. Could this be then the victim of circumstance that it followed something as monumental as Casino Royale? It doesn't help because that is. I've I've yeah. rewatched all of the Bond films for this, and I I would rank Casino Royale as the best of all the Bond films. I will be perfectly honest. I did not think much of it, Casino Royale. Okay, that's, I, that's I, the funny I, thing with Bond. They're almost all the same film, and yet everyone has very passionate opinions about <laughs> each yeah, of them. Yeah. So I will defend Goldfinger to the fucking death, but I couldn't <laughs> give a single toss. About quantum of fucking size. You're not a Texas Hold'em <laughs> fan. Yeah. Do you, do you mean Casino Royale? You don't give a fuck about, or was it? I I, I couldn't give a fuck about Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale. Oh. I didn't like Daniel Craig as Bond until Skyfall. I'm not gonna lie. When I rewatched wow. Skyfall, I did I did appreciate it more this time, but I still don't think it's the very best, like some people do. I but... think Skyfall similar to uh, you know similar to what you said, but even more so it. It got a very unjustified bad bad rep, and I thought it was a very well-made film. I think a lot of people just expect it to be one thing and got annoyed that it wasn't that. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of Quantum of Solace after I give my 007 in 107. Tom, this is something where I've... <laughs> uh, Mr. Mayhew, this is something that I've failed at miserably three times in a row, and mm-hmm. I plan on making it a fourth. <laughs> so what I should have called it, I've realised now, Thomas, is I should have gone 007 in 700, where I tried to sum it up in less than 700 words. Because I just realised this comes to 697 words, what I've written up. Ooh. And I'm not going to be able to say all that in 107 seconds. But that's what editing's for. I'll sound like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have another crack at it. I'm going to try okay. and say this in 107 seconds. Have you got the stopwatch ready? I mean, it, it's almost... Pointless at this point, but sure, why not? Here we go. I guess I'm just going to try and beat the record, which I think was, what, 2 minutes 17? Was that it? I think that was the the shortest. Mate, I I, I gave up caring. (laughs) I did did too. We'll give it a go. Are you ready? Yes. Mr. Lorcan in 3, 2, 1, 
go. Immediately after the events of Xenoyal, the Lowest captured Mr. White, the man working for the organization that had killed Lucifer and blackmailed Vesper Lind. Killing White's agents in a car chase, Bond brings him to M for interrogation. M's bodyguard Mitchell is revealed to be a double agent for White's group and helps him escape. Bond gives chase and kills Mitchell. Searching Mitchell's flat, they learn of Slate, a contact in Haiti. Bond travels there, kills Slate, and meets Camille, who was supposed to be killed by Slate on the order of her lover, businessman and high-profile environmentalist Dominic Green. Bond follows Camille to Green, who is helping exiled military general Medrano regain power in Bolivia in return for a large area of seemingly barren land. Bond saves Camille from being killed after she attacks Medrano's men and learns that Medrano had killed her family when she was a child, and that Camille will become involved with Green in the hopes of gaining say the record was i think it was two minutes 17 yeah nowhere close this was three yeah. minutes nine seconds well there you go <laughs> but uh, a hearty attempt as always mr mellon it was less than double that was <laughs> that's all i can be happy with now yeah you, did, you didn't reach the five minute mark so I'm the, yeah I'm the but... eddie the eagle of plot summaries <laughs> what a beautiful title to have <laughs> One day they'll make a film about you, mate. It'd be beautiful. Get town nuggets in it. <laughs> so, yeah. Like I said, I can kind of call this the Bond identity crisis or maybe the Bond inferiority complex. It was kind of perfect, actually, that, Mr. Mayhew, that you are our guest today because one of the things we've realised in, in talking about this is how much of a, a right-wing character and, and films the Bond films really are. That In past films that we've covered, his job has been to help save diamond investments mm. <laughs> you know and gold supplies <laughs> various other very rich people making sure they remain rich this is as close as the films have come in trying to make a left-wing bond film but it's very much politics with capital letters with no real you know paul greengrass energy behind it do, do you get where i'm coming from with this like the villain is not trying to destroy the world or threatening us with nuclear arms he just wants to control the water supply of a of a developing nation in south america yeah he's still gonna inevitably end up killing a lot of people for profit you know he's he's i guess he is a he is the archetype archetypal right wing politician in many ways but uh yeah well, the I, man that funds the right-wing politicians I would yeah say. exactly that well that's what i found very interesting so i watched it today and a lot of it does uh it's weird how it's made in 2008 and a lot of it feels you know pertinent now to mm. uh i mean it basically made me feel like oh shit the world's always going to be the same because we're still <laughs> like this 
Well, I mean, Bond films are all about making us think the world's always going to be the same because the Bond films will be. Literally, the Bond films are telling us the world is not enough. I mean, I could. <laughs> oh, I mean... he did a thing with a title. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the response I want from all my audiences at gig. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, a thing with a title. <laughs> Is that what, throughout throughout the whole mo- the show where you going? That is why I, Tom Mayhew. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. And by the by the fortieth time of me going, hey, like everyone just walks out. You're like, no. I got what I needed from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, put money in the bucket. <laughs> there was a a line in this when it was it was when they were talking to the Bolivian the new people who were going to get rid of the prime minister and. They were trying to do a deal with them, and someone said to him, oh, you want your country back? And I was like, we've heard enough of this sentence over the last five years in the UK. Like, just, you know. Yeah, bad timing. Yeah. Now I'm imagining, like, a Nigel Farage as a Bond villain. He is, in a way, he is just a real-life Bond villain. That's what he is. <laughs> no, but but also, because of the like... education background, I'm thinking he also thinks he's a Bond. <laughs> <laughs> but a Bond villain thinks they're sophisticated. He seems like... Come on, Bond. Let's have a pint and a fag. <laughs> but also, James Bond and Nigel Farage do share a love of uh, Union Jack parachutes, so <laughs> it's kind of on brand. Similarly, Mr. Hodkinson, what did you think? Were you did you remember that that was the plot of this film? Or because the thing about Quantum of Solace is how either forgettable or you just can't be asked to remember. <laughs> well, I, like I said earlier, I, I wasn't a fan of Casino Royale, so I didn't come in with high expectations for Quantum of Solace. Mainly because before I went to see this film, I had done a bit of background research and I got addicted to a song written by, <laughs> I think it was Joe yeah. Cornish? Yeah, Joe Cornish from Advent. Uh, on the Advent Joe Radio 6 show. And that song about Quantum of Solace is better than the entire film. <laughs> where you could just call uh, the thingy of what's it, the something of Boris. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I didn't have high hopes going in, and I completely forgot the entire plot. <laughs> Every action sequence, and even why the villain was a villain... Until I rewatched it recently, I, I don't know yeah. if I was just in a weird place at the time. What was it? Two thousand and eight? It would have been eighteen. Yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, it would have passed me by, but I just I don't know what it is. I completely. It was like a fog when I was trying to remember what Casino Royale was, mm. and I knew that was a bad thing. I think it's because it's so hard to center yourself in because it is full on. It is trying to be equal parts what they think everyone loved about Casino Royale. And also trying to fit as much of into the Bourne aesthetic as they could. Like the whole fight with that Slate character in his hotel room in Haiti. You would Now you'd watch it, you'd think, did they just do uh, one of those deep fakes and just put Daniel Craig's face over Matt Damon's? Because it is <laughs> literally just an exact replica of a, of a Bourne supremacy. Bourne hey, I know Matt Damon when scene. I see Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Because half the time people think it's Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> if those two ever remade face off the whole world would go fucking you didn't slice his face off it doesn't seem to have mattered to be honest uh, everyone just thought it was him <laughs> you look exactly the same I guess that's the point I don't know <laughs> my favourite bit in face off when they were trying to explain how they would do it all 
was one of them where they said height is negligible. <laughs> it's like, is it really? <laughs> you know, I love the idea of one of them being like five foot six, the other one being six foot one. <laughs> It'd be like putting Greg Davis and Lucy Porter in it. <laughs> oh. would, I would pay hard money to see that. I would definitely watch that. That'd be amazing. Let's make it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure with modern technology, it can be achieved. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, um, the film is so hard to follow. The, the car chase scene at the start, I had no idea who was where and who was chasing what. Um, you know, other than occasionally we see Bond was in a car. I just didn't know which <laughs> one. Because I don't really yeah. care about the whole Aston Martin sort of thing, really. It was just uh, so impossible to follow. And that was the first thing you're seeing in the film. Yeah, I, I, I watched it back today and that was like the first three minutes. And I had to I had to turn it off and have a break afterwards. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't like it. Like, why is there so many camera cuts all over the place? It's like yeah. a really bad YouTuber's made this. It was horrific. I didn't know who anyone was. I didn't care. I, <laughs> it was just so full on so early. And I'm like, right, I know he's James Bond, but what? It's just a, it was just a mess. It's such a messy way of starting the film. Yeah. The problem um, is, I, I, I'm a bit of a Bond purist, so to not have the opening shooting down the gun barrel shot really just threw me for a fucking loop. I hated yeah. it. Because the whole point of Casino Royale was meant to be, this is how Bond becomes Bond. And at the end of that film, he says, the name's Bond, James Bond. So what we're implying now is that this is the Bond that we all know. But instead, Quantum and Solids decided... Let's keep making him the Bond that we all know. So that then it ends with the gun barrel shot at the end of this. So it's saying, now he's the Bond you all know. And then when mm. they did Skyfall, again they had, oh, now he's got M and Miss Money Penny. And so it, again it ended with the gun barrel sequence. So it's like, now he's the Bond that you all know. So it was like, instead uh, of... Like, and, and then, like, Spectre comes along. Oh, Blofeld as well. Remember him with the cat? Now! <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what the next, what's the last thing now that it'll be, um... Jaws. <laughs> oh, like, we, have, we haven't yet seen Bond, like, backhand a woman. And like, now it's the Bond you <laughs> Hey, I mean, I know Phoebe Waller-Bridge got brought in to <laughs> edit the script, so God knows what's gonna happen. <laughs> One of my favourite notes that I made when, uh, the, the scene where it, they're flying over the land and they're being chased by a Bolivian fighter plane. And I said, this film manages to make one plane chasing one plane difficult to follow. Mm. How do you achieve that? While we're on the discussion of like Bolivia, the numerous different locations that this film took place in, mm. and more annoyingly, the uh, graphics cards to yeah. display where each place was, and it had a yes. different font, as if just for stylization. Yeah, they were meant to be like postcards or something. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> I can get if you're trying to sell like the the Italian tourist board wants you to come to Siena. You know, come <laughs> to Porto Prince. I don't care. I don't want to. Just tell me where it is and fuck off. Don't drown me with style. Yeah, like well, that. that was that was one of the things because again, like watching all the Bond films back to back, I realised with the opening credits, they've always used the same font for the credits. You know, the opening credits of who's starring in it and everything. Except for this film, for this film, they decided to do like stylized fonts for all the names. So as maybe that was a that was a sign that they were going too far. You gone too far. But I will say about the opening, that is the worst Bond theme of all the Bond themes we've had. Thank you, Jack White and uh, Alicia Keys. 
if it was just Jack White or just Alicia yeah. Keys, it would have been fine. The fact that you threw them both at it and just went, right, make music. If you look at the worst Bond themes, not just that we've seen in the podcast, but in overall in general, it has to be Die Another Day with Madonna just fucking regurgitating computer noises all over the place. Or that, because it felt like they weren't really in sync at all. Yeah. Mayhew, do you have an opinion of the best or worst Bond themes? I, I think this one is the only one... Like, I've seen all of the... You know, I've probably seen every Bond film since the Brosnan ones, but this is the only one where I couldn't remember the theme, which which says... You know, I couldn't remember most of the film either, like like uh, Mr. Hodkinson. So yeah, but I couldn't remember the theme. I couldn't remember it, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm glad I didn't remember this. This is <laughs> this is dog shit, mate. I don't want this." The lyrics as well. I remember that they're all about different things that are obviously in like Bond's line of sights: a drop in the water, a look in the eyes, and my favorite one: a phone on the table. Well, there's phones on every table, isn't there? Back in the day, maybe not so much now. Mobile phones. It's a lot can change in uh, in twelve years, I suppose. But one of the things I noticed as well, well, that's funny actually. It's pre-smartphones still, but they're getting videos. But it's on those tiny Nokia screens. Mm. <laughs> in terms of the best Bond theme, I don't know what you guys would think, but I kind of, I don't know. I'd maybe say I quite liked um, do you, Shirley Bassey. Which ones she did two? She didn't did, she? Um, she did three. Finger. She did which Diamonds three? Are Forever and, and Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah, uh, Moonraker is quite a good one actually. Well, I, I think Diamonds Are Forever is one of the ones for me that's just iconic and yeah, I always yeah. remember it. I forgot to yeah. mention when we were doing the Diamonds Are Forever episode that when it was that opening scene that she goes, Diamonds Are Forever, they won't leave me in the night, da, 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 they might deserve me. I kept expecting Kanye West to come in at that point. <laughs> like, that's I, the version I think of when I think of Diamonds Are Forever. You think that? I, I immediately get transported to, like, watching clips from Glastonbury and seeing the Arctic Monkeys do it. Yeah, and just that 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 got me. Um, but no, I I think best I'm, theme sorry, it, 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 you're you're looking more sort of Goldfinger. Uh, I think you only live tw- twice as a fantastic one, the Nancy Sinatra mm. strings on that that got sampled in Millennium. I really, and I know I keep going on about how much I love this film, but Honor Majesty's Secret Service has two of the best themes because it has "We Have All the Time in the World" by Louis Armstrong. Mm. Written for that film. But that's not the credits theme. That's the theme throughout the film. In the credits, they've got it's one of the. It's, I think it's the only time after Doctor No that they do an instrumental, and it's like this real proto synth music. It puts hard edge on the orchestral score, so it's pure John Barry. But if you I thought you were, I thought that, you were going to say they went. Da, 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 <laughs> that's James Bond. Da, 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 da. <laughs> well, like on the buses, James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, actually, oh. that's um, on on the spy you love me. Which is probably Moore's best Bond film, and it's but they keep they still can't manage to not screw up something, and at the end of it, because he's been it's like they incorporate all the Navy people at the end, like he enlists the Navy services, and so at the end of it, the credits at the end credits, you've got this great th- you had the great opening theme of Nobody Does It Better again, another candidate for best ever theme song, and the what that how they do it, they do it like a sea shanty at the end of the film, so it's like Bond, what are you doing? Keeping the British end up, and then nobody does it. Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh God, yeah! <laughs> oh, that version's horrific. Nobody does it half as good as you, baby. You're the best. Have a banana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we really don't want to talk about Quantum Solace, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I thought for a second there you were going to say uh, 
when talking about the, the old Bond film, I thought you were going to say, oh, yeah, it was good. And then uh, at the end, they had Blakey going like, oh, I'll get you, James Bond. <laughs> oh, okay, that's the crossover. Well, that was the crazy <laughs> thing about the... I remember we said it at the time on the buses when that came out in 1971. That was the biggest movie at the British box office that year. And that year, Diamonds Are Forever came out. So on the buses was more popular than James Bond by the time that came out. Hey, I mean, I know which film I'd rather watch again. underestimate the drawing power of Reg Varney, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he could have been the next Bond. He was about the same age as Roger Moore, to be fair. But... <laughs> oh, he would have been amazing. <laughs> same slick back hairstyle as well. <laughs> Literally slick. He put oil in it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my last notes about the opening credits is that it kind of gave us a warning as to what was going to happen because the whole credits is... James Bond walking aimlessly around the desert, not seeming to know what he's doing. How is it there was so much desert walking in this film? Like, ah, okay, fine. But (laughs) fucking hell. It was like scene after scene of, oh, and now we're in the desert, and we're having a little bit of a walk, and oh, look, we found a bus. I don't fucking care. Were they on the buses in the desert? They were, actually, at one point. I have a note for that, but uh, I'll I'll say it later, because... but one thing I did note, I just made random notes as the film went on. At the start, when he get, when he brings Mr. White in for interrogation, he suddenly he's got a big bottle of brandy and he's pouring himself a glass. And I was like, surely M wouldn't be providing that in this dingy little interrogation room. And I guess they are playing up James Bond's drinking problems. But I like the idea that he's not just got like a hip flask, but a whole <laughs> big bottle that he's got about on his person. He made Q Branch make it specially for him, like a Mary Poppins pocket or something <laughs> that he can fit his bottle in. Just throughout the whole... F- I would have loved that if it had been the whole thing throughout the whole film. Just where, in the middle of the desert, he just suddenly brings out this large bottle of <laughs> vodka or something and pours one for old Gakori Linko. Yeah, he just gets he just gets pissed half through and just starts going just like oh fuck off Blakey mate leave me alone. <laughs> you, you, I am the king of Bolivia, <laughs> and this is my queen. What, what is your name again? Uh, no one cares. No one will give a shit. <laughs> but yeah, again, just the whole thing about how you can't follow anything because I was watching it and and again because I just watched Casino Royale maybe the day before so it was still strong in my memory and they were hoping that was the same for everyone else because they don't give you much chance to catch up because mm. in Casino Royale in the opening parkour bit there's like this really incompetent MI6 agent who like fucks up when, when Bond's trying to catch the guy who then parkours all over the place and I couldn't tell if he was one of the two like people with M and then I couldn't tell if he was the one that betrayed them and shot the other guy or if it was the guy that got shot so it was like, I was trying to see, are they being clever? And they've just really screwed up because I'm not, I'm like the only person that would notice and I still can't tell or not one way or the other. Yeah, you know, well, did you find it out? Is he supposed no, to be someone? I didn't bother Did I... looking it up. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I just thought he was like basically a generic agent. Well, I was wondering that would have been so clever as well if he'd have actually turned out he deliberately fucked up in Casino Royale in the hopes that he wouldn't have caught the guy. Because they keep trying to say it's all one big conspiracy. So but that was tied into the theory possibly yeah, yeah but again they should have done a better job with it okay. um, but that was what i was thinking actually with with mr white saying we have people everywhere and then the bodyguard shoots him i was wondering if that's a way of just getting out of secret service interrogations if they say we've got people everywhere and everyone assumes oh shit the other person's gonna shoot me and they all shoot <laughs> each other <laughs> it's like works every time <laughs> the place i go <laughs> I'd love it if he wasn't actually tied in to, to Quantum and the guy just <laughs> randomly thought, 
Well, this is a cue if ever I felt one. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> this is my chance to get out of this place. <laughs> yeah, he was he was just really sick of his job and was like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna retrain as an artist. That's what I want to do. Opportunity strikes. <laughs> I, my next note is when they go back to the HQ. Have you guys got anything more from that whole opening? Uh, other than, I think, for the intro itself, visually, beautiful. Yeah. Stunningly put together, but the whole music and the, the feel of it, and just the, the jarring action from the opening scenes just really sort of just put me off from the, the get-go, really. The bit where the camera follows Bond and the other guy falling from the scaffold into the where the camera follows them, I thought that was well done. Oh, yeah, no, no, I did write that was the like a really good, really well filmed. It was it was a really good shot. I really liked that bit. Apart, apart the, from apart the problem from that is good, you know the... that shot was was so heavily used in the trailers for the film though that once he saw it in the cinema, he was like, oh yeah, I've already seen this about twenty times. Every time it's come on television advertising this movie, what else you got? Yeah, yeah. I, that is about that one shot of him, you know, falling, then looking up and shooting him. That's yeah. the uh, that's the five seconds of the film that I remembered before watching it. That was all I remembered. Because yeah. you've probably seen it twenty five times back in two thousand and eight without realizing. Yeah, it, it was probably in like you know adverts for Sky Movies and all those yeah, sorts yeah. of things. It would exactly. always or Odeon. It would just pop up as you know, come see, and just yeah, I've seen it so many times, and it's like okay, that's the best shot, and that's. Probably one of very few good moments like that in the film where you go, oh, wow, that was impressive in terms of a visual impact, I think. Uh, another thing that comes up now that's like the big cliche, of, especially the late 2000s, is the CSI computer exposition table, where they put <laughs> something on this table and suddenly the most amazing graphic projection figures everything out. <laughs> oh, yeah, because everything's CSI slash... Uh, minority report these days you know yeah. it's like yeah bollocks it'd be great if it just been like you know he puts it on the table and he goes oh wait this is an actual table it's not going to do anything <laughs> no the perfect moment in that scene would have been that they are starting over this table and some of it's a bit jarred it doesn't move and you just see like a wet ring where someone's left a coffee cup <laughs> and it's just oh Tanner <laughs> no, I was thinking another thing. You know how when sometimes have you ever had that thing where you're holding someone's tablet? I had this happen once, uh, like their iPad or something, and it's like the whole thing is hooked up to all the systems, and so suddenly the tablet starts ringing like it's a phone call, mm. and I think everyone always does the joke of using it as a phone, then like lifting it to their ear. Imagine because it, it is the like it is like a phone that they've put down, isn't it? That then turns into the big projection. If something on the <laughs> computer table, it was just mom mobile. <laughs> and someone swipes across and starts talking into the table because the table's turned into a phone. That's what yeah. I as well. It's it's a table that with that capability, but they still use tiny Nokia's yeah. for contacting <laughs> yeah. each other. They're playing yeah, someone on the table. <laughs> someone's really jumped the gun on that one. <laughs> Do you want this technology in our phone so it's in our pockets all the time? No, table. <laughs> It is always funny it's when a practical you... thing to carry. <laughs> it is always funny when you get those computer scenes and and written by <laughs> people who don't, you know, outside of Final Cut Pro, they don't know how anything else on their computer works. Because there is talk of a firewall. It's like, is that what we think it is? Ah, it sounds right. So we'll use it. Yeah, they just threw that word in. They were like, yeah, we need 
we need Norton antivirus to stop them. Is that like, what the fuck are you want about, mate? What, what are you talking you, about? I tell you what was a really egregious example of that actually was Goldeneye with the hackers, Boris and uh, the Bong girl. Because the, they see them typing. I always love how they do that. No one ever uses a mouse in computer hacking. No one's ever double-clicked on anything. <laughs> Not noticed. No one's ever right-clicked save as or anything Control like that. Open with. Delete. <laughs> I just want to print. Delete. Right-click, open with. Open office. Pay for Microsoft, you cheap ass. <laughs> because I remember because they had, you know, Alan Cumming did the typing with just one hand, which is just really bad, you know. She's just both hands, you fucker. And uh, whereas the the woman played the computer keys like it was a piano, she was, <laughs> again, nowhere near the space key. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> I always love that stuff. Uh, I think the classic one is there's an NCIS where they're fighting a hacker and someone joins in and they're both typing on the same keyboard <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like it's da 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 something like that or chopsticks or um <laughs> but yeah oh my next note was uh, David Harbour with the moustache of untrustworthiness <laughs> David <laughs> fucking Harbour I've completely forgot he was even in this film yeah me too that was a surprise uh, I could be, I even remember seeing his name in the credits and I just thought nah it's nah no, no, maybe nah. <laughs> I think we skipped over a very important moment in the so. film, though, guys. Uh, probably the, apart from the the glass ceiling smash and the uh, point leaning up to point and shoot the gun. Uh, the best visual moment in this film, in the scenes in Haiti, is when you just see a man sweeping the road. But his broom is like three feet off the ground. <laughs> so he's literally just sweeping the air. As someone who has worked as an extra in the past, extra watching is often a lot of fun to do when you're bored in a film. Yeah. They, they know they have to act, but they don't want to act too much. But they also kind of want you to notice them, but not really notice them. Not to the it's, point where the director gets annoyed at them for trying to get noticed. You know? it, it's kind of become one of those like key moments where, you, where people like, put compilations of uh, most iconic bloopers in films or yeah. in like or you know just things you catch in the corner of your eye. That and like the stormtrooper getting his head hit off the, yeah. the door in Star Wars. They are now sort of intertwined in history with that. I think uh, Broom Man. They should they should put him in every James Bond film, just in the background, <laughs> always doing that. Just, but, uh, MI5 hire him just to clean up in like the queues <laughs> offices. Like, no, yeah, he... yeah. Every, everyone else is wearing suits, but he's still wearing like a high vis jacket or something, just <laughs> yeah. in the background, brooming really badly. But counterintuitively, he's also the best agent they've ever had. He's been <laughs> in all these places, never once caused a bit of damage. You, you would never, you would never suspect he could do anything competently, so he'd, he'd get away with it. <laughs> uh, my only other note on David Harbour's moustache is I wonder if he was based on John Bolton, because you know having a moustache in two thousand eight is a, is a statement of some sorts, and it's not hipsterdom. Unless you're like the hippest of hipsters, I suppose. He was the one that started it all. So then we get to Olga and uh, and our Bond villain, Mister Green. Oh, the irony, because he poses as an environmentalist. Yes, it's very, oh, yeah. very, very clever. Mm. Um, I remember being really excited, actually, when uh, he got cast as Bond, because he'd done the diving bell and the butterfly. 
a year or two before then. He was really good in that. But then I wonder, was he actually that brilliant when most of his acting was in a stroke? <laughs> and he's frozen, but he does some voice work afterwards. But <laughs> he, I always thought, I just don't think he was given enough in this film to work with one way or the other, really. He's very... Was popular. anyone in every episode that we've done so far I'll do a quick fact dive before we go in? Oh, yes. And he was told not to have any distinguishing features to make his villain seem more formidable. Okay. So so you have like the Shifa had the, the, the crying blood mm. and there would have been like the scars on Blofeld and all these other iconic villains have had some visual element to them that makes them recognisable for so you can see clearly they are villainous. Mm. Like um Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall has the uh the brightest blonde hair of all time yeah. and also the uh, the disfigured face from the cyanide capsule that didn't pop whereas they told Matthew Almerick don't do anything that like he, he said do, do, do you want me to have a beard can I shave my hair and the directors went no just your face <laughs> your face is scary enough <laughs> your face is enough of a <laughs> that was that was all you could go by my note was you know Green's the villain by the number of undone buttons he's got on his shirt you know he's gone for like the full simon cowell four unbuttoned buttons on that one is it basically like they thought okay we've spent the last 30 years basically telling people all disabled people are evil so now we're gonna have (laughs) we're gonna have one evil person who's who's not disabled and then it'll be fine for the next ones is that basically what they were thinking but fellas we must admit he has to at least be a bit foreign. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, no, of course foreign. he does. Yeah, foreign's the important one. Yeah, yeah. Just be French. Look <laughs> yeah. at your name. <laughs> but yeah, they basically went, okay, let's have an evil Frenchman, and basically have people who are like evil Cubans from you know the fifties or something stupid. It was very. Uh, it felt a bit lazy, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I guess now, now the obvious person to have based him on would have been uh, Elon Musk. Would be the logical one to base a Bond villain on now who claims he's going to save the world and he's actually just... <laughs> well, his, his, his way of getting... I'll get you, Mr. Bond. What are you going to do? Laser my balls off? No, I'm going to call you a paedophile on the internet. Oh, <laughs> shit. That might stand up in court. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I mean... It depends what the, state we're in. <laughs> I mean, ten years before this in Tomorrow Never Dies, they did turn Rupert Murdoch into a Bond well, villain, so yeah. why not? Fuck him. That is, I was, I forgot to say that, that this is the most explicitly political Bond film except for Tomorrow Never Dies. And they're both probably as as effective in their satire in very little letters. You know, <laughs> newspapers are bad. Oh, well, that's a revelation. You, know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you blow my mind. <laughs> Australians, not to be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Although he doesn't play an Australian, does he? He, um... I think I put him down as my worst Bond villain, actually, Jonathan Price in Tomorrow Never Dies. But you know, because I quite like the fight scene that Bond has with this guy with Green at the end, because Green clearly doesn't know how to fight, so he's just oh, yeah. like trying to scratch his eyes out, <laughs> just while <wildly laughs> yeah. flailing at him, while he's flailing at him with an axe that ends up that, uh, hitting himself with. <laughs> but that bit's really weird because I'm like, this guy is not. A fighter he's not being trained he's just like a geek and but suddenly he's really good at really good at fighting and he's really up for like swinging his stuff around and i'm like what where has this come from he's not supposed to be he's not shown any fighting instincts at all i don't think he's ever been in a fight i'm quite sure he was probably beat up at school many times but then all of a sudden he's this like 
splinter from Ninja Turtles swinging stuff around. And I'm just <laughs> I like, would what? disagree because there's no technique in it. Like I say, he ends up hitting himself with the axe. The idea is that just Bond's trying to fight whilst this guy's just flailing at him. He's always already hurt from everything he's done to get there, and the hotel is blowing up around them at the same time. So you I know, think he's, not, hit- he's not a full, you know, <laughs> effectiveness himself either. I think in in his mind, it's like. It's like when a kid, a scrawny kid at school has been picked on by the bully so many times yeah. and decides to fight back and just like starts <laughs> going fucking spider monkey ape shit on Bart people. Simpson, it Bart feels Simpson like that. swinging his arms around. If you get ah! hit, it's your own fault. <laughs> Do you think that's what the director said to him? It was like, okay, so Bond's going to come at you and you just go... Spider monkey ape shit, mate. Yeah. Just do that, and, you know. I mean, sort of not as bad as like the worst, like the weirdest kid at school who just like goes, "This ends now," and thinks they're going to turn into Bruce Lee and destroy everyone. But it's definitely relatable. I can agree with you there. Um, <laughs> I've got my next notes are at the opera. I don't know if you guys have anything else yeah, before that. Yeah. So I've been to the opera. There is no way Quantum would not have been shushed by everyone around them. The people at the opera do not have time for, <laughs> you know. That I've actually, to be fair, I haven't been to the opera. Opera. I've been to a cinema that's done a live screening of the opera. I think it was to see the Magic Flute from the New York Mets. And before they put the opera on, they'll do like a half an hour of like behind the scenes talk to the director talk to some of the performers and that's just stuff that's on the with the the lights are up in the cinema and everything and just people are still getting to their seats but still because it's the most middle class of audience you realize when you go to like the theater or when you to be honest when you go sometimes to the edinburgh fringe like there's a whole strata of people that you never encounter when you go to the cinema or your your pubs and your cinemas and your restaurants that live in this other world and they will not stand for one shred of poor service and i remember that like i said the lights were up this is just behind the scenes this is like the dvd extras and this woman very very sternly turned to these two women that were just having a very quiet chat amongst themselves and shushed them very loudly because she had to know what the director were really in, was intending to do with their fucking mozart but it's in the 20s chicago gangs or something like that i don't know do you remember a, a period of time where people actually gave a shit about director's commentaries and DVDs? <laughs> what a I, magical I, period that was. It is weird that that was like the selling point of the DVD. Like we were saying, with the, uh, the little sneak preview for you, Tom, uh, time of recording, we haven't released it, but we've done Mad Cows from the late 90s, and it was just at the dawn of the DVD, and I got, one mm. of the DV- I got a DVD for each of us, and the big selling point was 16 minutes of extra features. <laughs> Wow! Most of which are Oh, and of course the highlight of scene selection. Whoa. <gasps> Original theatrical trailer. See Bond shoot <laughs> up again from that place. The menu moves. <gasps> so, so Tom, and Jesus gonna... wept for there were more, no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> so Tom, are you going to reveal yourself now to be a previous director's commentary listener? Back in the day. Uh, I, I mean, back in the day when it was a new medium of, yeah, of course, I listened to a few director's commentaries. Some of them are really good. I could very happily sit back and watch uh, Scott Pilgrim like four different times with different commentaries. Yeah, I remember I used so, to watch the spaced commentaries like more than once because it was just yeah. the people you liked. So the Futurama commentaries I always thought were really good fun and the Simpsons yeah. commentaries are often 
a lot of fun, but I don't know if I want to listen to Ridley Scott explain a good year. You know, it's not. Yeah, I think there's only so much of Martin Scorsese's voice I can physically handle in a three-hour period. I do remember eventually it wasn't back to back, but I did watch all of the Godfather trilogy with the Francis Ford Coppola commentary, and I thought I remember enjoying that. But you know, um, entertainment was still relatively scarce back then. You know. Whilst we're on the subject of, uh, you mentioned space, so another Channel 4 sitcom I think deserves mentioning here, uh, Paul Ritter from Friday Night Dinner is in the fucking film oh, okay. as a member of Quantum. Oh, okay. The dad really? from Friday Night Dinner was in the audience. I swear to God, you can IMDB it. The second I saw him, I went, uh, I, I thought in my head mentally, went, oh, hello, bambinos. And I couldn't <laughs> get that out of my system. It ruined the, the scene for me because I associate him so heavily with that show. Well, I think that, that scene needed something silly like that because I was really annoyed when all Bond did was say, you people should find a better place to meet. I, I wish he had, like strung them along and been like, oh, yeah. has anyone anyone shit themselves? They're like, you know, really... <laughs> Maybe oh, you should just... go to the toilet where I've left one of your operatives. <laughs> exactly. Uh... Just, yeah, say something like really... that. Try and string them along being like, oh, does anyone else, you know, anyone else really attracted to the Queen? <laughs> 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 what? Yeah. What do you? What do you or guys just... think of? What do you guys think of Tracy from Accounts? Yeah. <laughs> so sit there. So my boss is a nagging bitch. Nag, 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 nag. Uh, what? What weird place to have decided to do this at as well? Like I said, the opera. It's like, well, it will look good in a movie, I suppose. <laughs> they That's can... what they've done. They, they've either thought it will look good, or they've been sponsored it's one of the two it's that's, there's lots of things in this film where they've just you know they've gone yeah this is this is good it looks it looks expensive there yeah, we go i can imagine that actually city's bidding for the next quantum meetup friday the 18th goes to Reykjavik. it's Reykjavik. <laughs> <laughs> like i have a whole ceremony fireworks go off <laughs> It's like the Olympics has <laughs> been awarded to London again. You know, oh, it's, it's... Guys, if we're going to be a secretive operation, we really need to work on this. But we're live streaming on YouTube. <laughs> Look at the numbers. <laughs> it's lucky, really. It's lucky, really, because the the week before their quantum meeting was during like a little uh, a school nativity play. So that would. That would... <laughs> The week before that, they were at a Dagenham and Redbridge EFL trophy match. Have you heard who was sponsoring the EFL trophy next season? Uh, Papa Johnson. Papa Johns. Fucking oh, hell. Nothing says, nothing the... says athletic prowess like Papa John's pizza. <laughs> Domino sponsor like the French League, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think they sponsor. Um... I know it's definitely League Two. I don't know if they sponsor the Legun as well, though. I literally just know it from seeing it in FIFA. I was like, "Oh, Domino's, okay." Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. I don't. Yeah, but I ladies and gentlemen, the Premier League brought to you by KFC, <laughs> <laughs> the clocking good goal of the week. <laughs> <laughs> the manager, the manager of the month, gets the whole has to accept the award in the full Colonel gear. Gets up. <laughs> it's a golden pop bucket of like popcorn chicken 
the thing with the quantum thing is, like I said, this is all like politics with a capital P satire with a whip sound effect afterwards. Because when they're all saying, have we tied up the Bolivian government in our uh, pet, you know, in our water scandal and all that, it just reminds me of the squirrel scene from Rick and Morty. <laughs> they go, we need to destabilize the Middle Eastern regime, put a new leadership in charge. Wait, that kid spotted us. <laughs> Little boy, little boy, come here, we'll give you candy. You fucked with squirrels, Morty! You fucked with squirrels! <laughs> anyway, uh, one, one, note, one other note I've got is that at one point, after Bond's r- busted them all and they're running away, like someone approaches him and he knocks him out. I like to imagine that was just like a lighting operator for the opera. <laughs> just a grip. Just a fucking grip, man. He was, was just literally going to ask, excuse me, sir, can I help you find your seat? And he just gets knocked out. <laughs> I think you find I'm the best boy. <laughs> Bond is best boy. Yeah. <laughs> best Bond. <laughs> I like your idea of Bond as like this really petty. <laughs> <laughs> Always bad mouthing all the other double O's behind their backs. Don't yeah, he's an eater tonight, so he wants to be the head boy, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's just like another another person who wanted to spy with him, and he's like, "No, I'm spying. Leave me alone." <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mister Spyman. Leave me be. Literally every other job is a two-person operation. No <laughs> one. It's like there was this guy I used to do improv with who. Uh, whenever they would, and it's actually they do the same thing that happens to Michael Scott in the office. It's like right now for this scene, who's going to go up, and he goes up, and just there's always that pause of everyone looking around it's like who's gonna take one for the team alright I'll do the scene with him <laughs> that's probably what happens with Bond as well but I always get killed it's not worth it I mean yeah some people go on dates and you know they go oh my friends told you about you like no one would go on a date with Bond you'd be like yeah have you heard about his his past five girlfriends I would I wouldn't go out of him. I'd swipe. I'd swipe right. I would or left, whatever one it is. I don't know the reference. <laughs> Just burn your phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's already got your number. He already knows where you live. Burn your phone. <laughs> run away from your house. Uh, this one's this one's as close to like a respectful bond. He only has sex with and kills as a result one woman in this whole film. It's pretty shocking that he does not hook up with the Olga at the end of the film. His. Um, Oh, that 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 progress. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not even there's not even a sex scene. It's just a really weird bit where he goes, "Oh, I can't, oh, I can't find the stationery," and she's like, "Oh, that means we're banging." And I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> Is that not your technique? That's how I do it in yeah. every hotel. It's like the worst <laughs> foreplay I've ever seen. Just... I mean, that's that's how I've got my end away in every Weatherspoons Inn I've ever stayed in. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh, yeah, come, to... <laughs> come to my come to my room and help me find the stationery. Oh yes, please. <laughs> I mean the pen's right there, Jack. Oh, you've got your cock out. Okay. Oh, oh I see. Oh, the pen ends in is, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> uh, there's a lovely "Spy You Love Me" homage as well in this scene. Obviously, with like the whole in "Spy You Love Me," there's a whole thing in the in the when he goes to Egypt, where there's this whole exhibition going on with the pyramids, and he's getting into fights with Jaws behind it. So that's obviously being homage. And also there's a bit where the guy's holding on to Bond's tie to try and stop from falling, and Bond just lets him go. That's another Spy Love Me homage. But that's the weird thing with Bond. Half of the films end up just referencing... It's like sampling or something as far as Bond films go. 
See, I've not I've not seen Spy Who Loved Me, so I just mm. thought it was a an homage to like The Lion King. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're hoping. <laughs> that's amazing. You see Lion, Lion King. The, King. <laughs> <laughs> the bit when he throws Scar to the uh, hyenas. I was thinking, there we go, Bond. Yeah. <laughs> you pay your respects. Now sing a song, please. <laughs> now tell me uh, something that means no worries, Mister Bond. <laughs> <laughs> and then a woman appears, and it just happens to be her name, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> the phrase is Mutata. <laughs> Matata. <laughs> More tatas. <laughs> oh, we are terrible people. Um, <laughs> Uh, also, oh, the, the, the one thing I noticed when uh, when he gets to Bolivia and he meets uh, Gemma Arterton's character. By the way, Gemma Arterton at this point was, about, I think, around the height of her fame, deserved way more than the five minutes she had in this film. Yeah, I think she'd done she'd done St. Trinian's. I don't think she'd done Tamara Drew yet, which was really the her first big leading role, I think. Oh, but yeah, but I, I think Tamara Drew was like... Was that the one adapted from a Daily Mail comic? Yeah, but it was also based on Madame Bovary, I think, as well. That felt like like the beginning of the end for her, because like, I know she was everywhere for a while, and then mm. nowhere for so long. And I felt like this was this is when she was really building up. She could have had a decent role. They could have even brought her back for another film, but it's like, no, no. She must die. She, she touches his penis, therefore she is doomed. <laughs> she touches his penis, <laughs> and, and they have to get and they give her the the uh, gold finger homage again. I, I'm sure. I mean, what what Disney cartoon did you think that was referencing? May you the fox just, and the hound? <laughs> no, I, I just thought it was a game of stuck in the mud that went very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is amazing about that though is that M went into that hotel room, saw her there, and was like, "Well, we've got to wait for Bond to come back because." The dramatic effects. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love the idea that they've been waiting there for like eight hours. <laughs> the hotel people are going to be very annoyed. I'll pay for the sheets. It's all it's right. Just, yeah. Also, this, this is entirely Bond's fault because they were going to go to a hotel that was going to be a lot quieter and a lot more out the way. And he went, "Nah, mate, I could do better than this." Exactly. Up to a fucking suite and a fucking five star, like a twat. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. He's used that lottery line for years. It's cost the taxpayer millions of pounds. <laughs> Swaggering cock. We, we, we gave him a bloody place at the Holiday Inn every time. And yeah. he goes to the fucking Hilton and says he's won the lottery. <laughs> well, and, and they, yeah, I mean, I think they made that point. Because they killed her with oil. That was them going, look, we've killed her with capitalism. <laughs> uh-huh. change, change your ways, Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> the environment, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I do love that whole line at that point where where M says restrict Bond's movement, cancel his cards, and I love that it wouldn't just be his credit cards, but like his Oyster card, his his Cineworld card. <laughs> oh, just come a... on! <laughs> the, the I didn't realize you're a Beano Town member. <laughs> <laughs> National Heritage card. I've got to pay full price bollocks to this. I've just won the lottery. I own this place now. Let me in. <laughs> well, they just take his wallet. So the next scene is him getting pulled over and he's just got like a Lego driving license. <laughs> <laughs> or he pulls well, it once, once and it's just a piece of paper that says I can do what I want on it. <laughs> 
You're lucky we're in Legoland, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Drive safe, Mr. Bond. Uh, just, also... just him, him, him phoning up his mum and going, Mum, can I borrow a tenner? <laughs> <laughs> Mom, my boss took is my... taking all the cars em, away. Em <laughs> took my lunch money and then she said... <laughs> <laughs> Judy Stench is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I love is though that the the way the Bond does get to La Paz is by seeing his good old mate that he got tortured in the previous film. <laughs> Sorry about the torture, mate. Because <laughs> he says, and then his like his wife is delighted that he got her husband torture because it got them this villa. Which I was thinking, torture for a villa. That's a new game show idea. I'm surprised it hasn't taken off. Yeah, she's horrible. She's just like. Well, you should be grateful because look at this house. And it's like, what the fuck are you on about, mate? <laughs> I wake up every night screaming. <laughs> yeah, but that... it's a four-poster bed, isn't it? <laughs> I do that later in the film. They're going to tell her she he died and she's like, so do I get a mansion? <laughs> <laughs> do, do I get a mansion because he's died? Is that how this works? <laughs> <laughs> I love it's like different tiers of torture get you nicer accommodation. Like after yeah. Bond got that, after Bond got those, you know, the the not to the testicles torturing Casino Royale. I was like, well, that will we'll probably get him a bungalow in like Sheffield side <laughs> or something. Like that. That probably earns you that. Water torture gets you a suite. <laughs> yeah, they t- they take your nails off. You get yourself a nice little semi-detached in Dorsets. <laughs> <laughs> Half his face is off. Well, you know what that means. We're going to have to get him a penthouse. <laughs> In London? Ah, oh, fuck no. Give him, like... Uh... Redditch. Yeah, Redditch. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the penthouse of Redditch is basically a cardboard box that's on fire. Whoever organised all these houses really needs to uh, sort out their HR team. Because it's like, oh, I've got I've got really, really badly abused. You know, can you help me? It's like, oh, here, have a motorhome. And they're like, no, can I, can I, can I have a, can I have some therapy? No, you got a motorhome, mate. That's all you're allowed. You, you, uh, you get a narrowboat in, you get a narrowboat in Tamworth, and you stick with it. All right. Yeah. I, I, I was expecting something a bit nicer. Yeah, but James Bond's been in, so <laughs> fucking James Bond. Yeah, you, I mean, you live under a bridge now, so. Yeah. James Bond's expenses should be mentioned in the budget. <laughs> like a really large yeah. proportion of our GDP. There's a sort of pie chart. What's that overwhelming piece there? <laughs> well, there's this bloke we've got on our payroll. He's a bit of a prick, yeah. but he gets results. <laughs> Are you sure you should be telling us about it? He says his name everywhere he bloody goes. <laughs> Just, uh, excuse me, guys. Does anyone know who spent 20 grand a year on condoms? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't realise we had to have a latex budget. <laughs> There's a lot of empty bottles knocking around MI6. I, I think we know the culprit, but we can't name anyone. <laughs> HR would be on our arse. Uh, He'd he name himself, just... but we can't do it. <laughs> We're professionals. Let's let's put like a, a pamphlet under his door, but then just leave it, okay? Let's just... So uh, when when Bond escapes, evades M and her agents again, the scariest line in the whole film is uttered: "The foreign secretary wants to see you." <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> He's trying to teach James Bond some of his martial arts skills. 
genuinely thought like Boris Johnson was going to turn up or something like that. <laughs> oh god, you oh, know he loves Bond films, don't well, you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very sorry, Mr. Bond. Whatever. Uh, you, you, you appear to have uh, spent too much of the budget on uh, on farting about in Bolivia. <laughs> oh. James oh. Bond is a he's, he's a well beaten shagger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I actually wrote a joke a while ago where I came up with um, what what rapper names really mean. So like Waka Flocka Flame, to me sounds like uh, an Australian mobile game where you try and save sheep from a flyer, from a fire. Sorry, and I realised that Fetty Wap is exactly what Boris Johnson calls wanking. <laughs> I, I love a good Fetty Wap. It's the only way I don't have children. Fe- oh, it doesn't Wap. work, mate. I mean, his latex budget is zero, so... He's had at least 007 children, I believe. Oh, there it is. <laughs> uh, also, I'll have you know that Fetty Wapper is the name of one of the Bond girls in the next film. So... <laughs> <laughs> her name's Wap. Fetty Wap. Uh, I've forgotten the name now. Is it Flora Anderson The on Twitter? No. Is she in James Bond? No, no, no. She's just on this brilliant James Bond video. Oh, I genuinely—I thought femi- you were saying that she was one of the no, new Bond no. girls. I was like, bloody hell, you know. No, because she's done a video called Feminist Bond Girl. This <laughs> is like a really condescendingly written, fe- you know, just like how Bond writers trying to write computer dialogue. If they actually tried to write a feminist a character, her name is her Bond name is Footsie One Hundred. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired. Well, I did read that Gemma Arterton has like since. You know, 2015, 2016, she's been very uh, outspoken in terms of the the Time's Up movement and the Me Too movement. And I do wonder whether that is uh, a reaction to her Bond role, where she basically (laughs) appeared, said, you're not doing your job. Bond went, oh, have you found a pencil? And then they had sex. Like, it's not the most... um... (laughs) And then she died in oil. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not the most empowering role, really, is it? No. (laughs) This is an actress who, at the height of her fame, should have had so much more on this. And they give her the name Strawberry Fields. Oh, it's an Mm. awful name. Although she doesn't actually say strawberry in the film, I don't think. She just says Fields. Yeah, That's she just says her name's Fields, but we know it's Strawberry Fields. It's yeah. fucking awful. They kill her <laughs> off within, like, three minutes. If your name was Strawberry Fields, you wouldn't say it, would you? You would go, I am just Fields, because you'd be so fucking embarrassed. Miss Fields. You'd change it by deed, Paul. Yeah, yeah, you bloody would. Eventually. What if she did? <laughs> honey, we were, we were awful. Well, you call me Honey, and I don't like Honey Fields. <laughs> My name's Letitia Smith, and that's all you'll ever know me as. <laughs> According to the courts. So I've got yeah, I've, was, my next note was... is when they're in the desert. Uh, have you oh. guys got anything else from the? Because you know you were saying on that they get a bus eventually. Yeah, they're on the buses. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the line that we missed was James Bond saying, "Hello, we've just won the lottery, and I'm going to buy this bus." Get off of it. <laughs> or they sit on the back and go, "Yeah." Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> and they just sort of blankly stare off into the distance. <laughs> oh, also, I forgot, actually, I do have one more note, because um, my, my note was Captain America beat way more people in his lift. In this in this one, Bond, I think, beats up three people in the lift. Peanuts. Mere peanuts. Yeah, but this is the second Bond film we've looked at in this miniseries where he just has a fight in a lift. Yeah. <laughs> and I still think the best fight in a lift scene I've ever seen is in Drive, so this just feels wrong. Yeah. Oh my god, that scene. I oh. saw that film three times at the cinema, 
And each time I misremembered how gruesome that was. Oh god, yeah. It gets you. It yeah. gets you like a punch to the fucking throat. It's well, so it's worse old. than a punch to the throat. I can tell you that much. <laughs> oh, my next note was, is Felix Leiter literally the only agent in the whole CIA? Because he's like, <laughs> Bond's point of... Because he looks so knackered in this film. Because <laughs> we've just seen him in Casino Royale. And now he's in the middle of the, in the middle of South America. I love the idea. That, like, look, the budget's very stretched. <laughs> they all died in the Middle East, and you're the only one we've got left. <laughs> Just him turning up, being like, "Oh, I'm supposed to be on bloody holiday, mate, but I'm here." <laughs> oh, oh, one bit. One, so one bit I had was when um when they were talking to Bond because uh, that guy gets shot and he's put in the boot. And there was a bit where they said, "Are oh, you, uh, you, you shot him?" And I don't think Bond. No, they said Bond shot someone. It was either that guy or it was. No, the guy he threw off the roof. Sorry, they said that yes. Bond shot yeah. him, and he didn't yeah. shoot him. So I, I was annoyed that Bond didn't say anything because they're like, "You shot him in cold blood," and Bond doesn't respond. I wanted him to go like, "No, I didn't." Yeah, he doesn't. I, like, I never. I never yeah. did that actually. What? No. <laughs> I thought I am insulted. Actually, actually, I just pushed him off the building, actually. I can't believe you think I'd shoot him. Oh, my God. He th- oh, I'm so professional. <laughs> I'm so... I would never... Oh, my God. I, I M, you am, suck. You're really I disrespecting am... my skills, actually. Can you please, you know, apologise? <laughs> oh, my I... God. I really wish you were fucking Queen Elizabeth right now and not this bitch. <laughs> I am... Walking away from this conversation. <laughs> it's like, okay, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. I'm sure there's CCTV, like, fucking everywhere. <laughs> do, you, do you really want us to pick up CCTV of you shooting someone? You Go think ahead. that's going to be wait. hard to find? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I will sit here and I will wait until you prove me innocent in a court of law. We're not in a court of law. Shut up, Tanner. No one asked you. <laughs> Oh my god, what did Strawberry say? She's a bitch. You don't want to believe anything she says. She said blub 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 blub. Yeah, that sounds like her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so close to the end, but so far. Yeah. Well, time. they reach the they reach the eco hotel, and in my mind's eye, what's going on in half of that hotel is that there's like a fire fire fest or, or Burning Man going on because it seems like the right location for but it. It's also fucking empty. Mm. Oh, did you spot Una Chaplin briefly? Yes, yes. very briefly, yeah. But did yeah. you also spot um I can't remember the actress's name. She was the best friend in Miranda. Yes, that was my note. Okay, I had a note that just said her from Miranda. Like, yeah. What does that mean? Oh, okay, that's it. And she's worked with um, Mitchell and Webb on a bunch of stuff. She popped up as the... Uh, the receptionist in the airport when he's trying to leave. Yeah, and he uses his flirting skills yeah. to get her to... And I'm sorry, like I get why women find Daniel Craig sexy in a way, but just randomly meeting Daniel Craig, I don't think he's going <laughs> to, you know... Look, can I... I'll have to take my shirt off for you to truly appreciate why. <laughs> <laughs> Behold, the pecs of glory. <laughs> I came out the sea with these, you know. <laughs> Because uh, I theorised, actually, uh, Mr. Mayhew, that, that it was that scene in Casino Royale where he comes out with his trunks that 
since then every man in like a, a superhero movie or or what have you has to have that one scene where they don't drink water for three days before shooting starts so yeah. they can you know well, well again it's it's basically them going okay we've been very sexist and misogynistic yes. for the past 50 years here we go you can see his knob happy now like <laughs> <laughs> But that was that that was that great line that Tina Fey had at the Golden Globes for Matthew McConaughey, when they said Matthew McConaughey, who got lots of press notices for losing fifty pounds for Dallas Buyers Club, or as women in Hollywood know it, being in a movie. Hmm. Annoyingly true. Yeah. Also, um, to note on this, when they go to the hotel, Bond wears all black in the desert. I think he may be a fucking idiot. <laughs> It's because it, you and you're in the desert. It's the middle yeah. of the day. It's burning hot sunshine. You see a man dressed in all black, and you think either that's a man in, entirely in black who is visible as fuck, or that's the biggest scorpion I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, all you need to do is grab a seatbelt in the middle of a hot June day to realize what mistake he was making. Really. Exactly. He trades his car for a plane at one point. <laughs> Wait, yeah. So, why would anyone ever do that? Because how are you gonna? It's, it's going to be a dodgy car, isn't it? If someone approaches you, a random stranger goes, "All right, do you want to uh, train your, trade your plane for a car?" You'd be like, "Fuck off, mate! What are you talking about? No, <laughs> it's my plane. I need it. Why would I just accept your car? There's no MOT. There's no insurance." <laughs> I'd very much like to fly places. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, if you're working at that hotel, it's a hell of a commute. I remember there was a report about like the longest commutes to work, and there is someone that works in London but lives in Shetland and, like, takes a plane to commute there at least several times a week. It's I mean, probably that's... cheaper than the trains. Yeah, it probably is. That's one hell of a commute. I mean, you read these stories about people that had the option to get a train from where they're studying for university to go home halfway across the country and they're charging, like, X amount of hundreds of pounds or book a flight where they go out to Berlin for eight hours, <laughs> then go back home, and it's like 10% of the price. <laughs> what the fuck economy are we living in where that's well, allowed? Well, you know, we, we spend a lot of money on secret agents claiming they've won the lottery <laughs> and are buying up five-star hotel rooms. It's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> Wait, why did Bonds trade to car then? Because he can afford to buy his plane. <laughs> <laughs> if he just knobbed a little less each year, he could absolutely <laughs> afford a fleet of vehicles at his disposal. We've barely said anything about the main Bond girl, Olga Koryalenko. They sort of give her her own story, but not much to go with it. And weirdly, because she's not a sexual object in it, it's kind of... It's almost like, what's the point of this? <laughs> this seems to be what Bond's thinking. Because at one point he mansplains how to kill to a woman that we've already established as an ex-Bolivian secret agent. So I think she knows what she's doing. Interestingly, I read that apparently she has, like, scarring on her back in the film because she had a tattoo removed. Oh, wow. And, oh. It, and they had to, uh, like, write that into the film. So that's why yeah. the bit, there's a bit about her being in the fire and all that stuff. I mean, she couldn't just wear, like, shirts... And they didn't have to fill in the backstory. They they had no, to see no, her back. Yeah, yeah, she's, a, back. <laughs> she's a woman in a James Bond film. You're not, not allowed to wear clothes. More skin. But she's completely naked. Now cover her in the oil. <laughs> 
I don't know what her tattoo was. Maybe it was just some product placement. They were like, no, we can't have that. We can't have that product placement. <laughs> you can't advertise Pepsi. We're a Coca-Cola brand. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bite on this. It's going to hurt like hell. Because <laughs> uh, is, where is she from? Is she from Russia or the Ukraine? With a name like Olga, it does sound Slavic. I believe she's it? Ukrainian. Interestingly, mm. she I read I looked on her Wikipedia page and she was I in. Bet you yeah. bloody did. Yes, for research for the podcast because okay. nothing's sexier than research. Actually, <laughs> um, but she, she was in the uh, the most recent Jolly English film as his love interest. Oh, ah. I remember she was in um, Seven Psychopaths. That was the other thing I remember seeing her in. She also in the Death of Stalin. Yes, she was. Possibly. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I thought it was her because I, I, I get her confused with a couple of other actors, but Death of Stalin, uh, absolutely one of my best or one of my favorite films of the last five years. Mm. Heavily recommend if you've not seen. Where are we up to now? My next note is that there didn't seem to be a lot of money in that briefcase they gave Madrano. You know, it was almost like that bit in Dodgeball where they say, "I guess you've never seen a hundred thousand dollars except in the movies." And they open up the briefcase, and he's just one wad of money in the middle of the briefcase. Um, I wonder how many times people have made transactions with briefcases full of money. That's reminded me of a bit I really, uh, I really hated earlier when, uh, when he, when Bond kills the first assassin. Really, really, the one who's trying to kill Olga, basically, when he kills that guy in the hotel, and he goes, like, "Oh, is there, is there any messages for me?" And they go. No, sir. The only message was about the briefcase they delivered earlier. Do you want us to still hold it? And I'm like, this is fucking awful exposition. (laughs) It's like, no, sir. The only message was about this plot device that will help you understand more about the narrative. Here, take the MacGuffin. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. Like, uh, has there been anything for me? Uh, If you just mind checking with our exposition concierge (laughs) over there. Well... I only have two notes left now. One is that uh, Craig and Olga only snog, and that's as far as Bond goes. But to be fair, I can imagine Roger Moore's Bond didn't get much further than what we saw at the end of the, each of his films, you know. Because <laughs> it was actually, weirdly, the Bond films were very chaste until Pierce Brosnan turned up. You didn't really see any barebacks. It was odd that they decided to give. I'm, I'm not against it now. I remember at the time thinking. Look, it's a bomb film. He has to hook up with her at the end, but I'm not actually against that as a concept. I yeah. I, I quite liked that fact, and I mm. I liked just before that bit. I liked the whole um, the scene with her killing the 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 baddie, and then there being a fire, and it kind of referenced the the fire of her her childhood, and it was kind of like a mm. almost like a PTSD sort of reference. I thought that was quite well yeah. done and quite actually. Uh, mm. What a few bits in the film that had a bit of an emotional pull, and you were like, "Oh, this is actually there's actually some feeling here." Whereas most of it was quite cold and quite. Clean. I do remember that the only reason that she has to get into a fight with Madrano is because Una Chaplin's character like gets in her way. So it's so, like women getting it, stopping other women from succeeding in life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, They're their got, own worst enemies. <laughs> I have got one other note. You know how like every great Bond villain has a really great uh, henchman. So like Jaws is probably one of the most recognisable ones. You got Odd Job, Nick Knack, and all these other great henchmen throughout time. 
Mr. Green's one in this film seems more like he's the keyboardist in an EDM band. Yeah. His, Just, his gimmick is that he's got a really bad wig. His gimmick <laughs> is that he's got a rough neck, bad wig, and just could not with this shit. Yeah. It's one of the most underwhelming elements of this. Well, were, if you're going for, like, the yeah. Bond prototype, they really fucked up on that. They could have had someone, like, really solid come in and they well, screwed like yeah, well, it's like they're saying, like, each film as it goes along, it's becoming more and more of a Bond film, because there's no real henchman in Casino Royale either. And really, the first henchman is uh, Batista in Spectre. Oh, Mr. That's Jinx. Really the first... Yeah. It, it yeah. says a lot when you go, uh, God, we really need Batista's acting to improve that, that henchman role. <laughs> I thought Batista was screwed over in that film, to be honest. <laughs> he was screwed, any... brother! He was screwed! Yeah, he was! <laughs> You screw worse than when Edge beat him for the world championship. <laughs> oh, oh god, my childhood. Oh. <laughs> you know what I would love actually though, for it to be revealed that the henchman, the guy that you think is the henchman is actually the villain. And like the the super genius villain is also like a ridiculously jacked huge guy. Because I thought there were elements of Jaws, at least in appearance, to Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall. Especially when he takes the the mouth thing out. He does look quite a lot like Jaws at that point. I, I think a lot of the, the pullback and reveal Bond things have always been really shit. Like, yeah. when you find out that Robert Carlyle isn't the only baddie in the world, is not enough. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh okay, I couldn't Which give any did... less of a fuck. <laughs> Which they then did the exact same thing in Die Another Day with Rosamund Pike. Exactly. It's, just, it's like... It's, it's just every every film is now going to be, no, bitches. But with the Rosamund, <laughs> with the Rosamund Pike one, they it's like they're trying to elude, oh, she's actually on the good side. But wait, she really is on the... Oh, I just don't give a fuck, mate. Well, I was thinking, because someone pointed out a great actor they could cast as Lex Luthor. Obviously, they can't now because of another role he's taken. But what if they cast The Rock as Lex Luthor? <laughs> The idea that Lex Luthor is obsessed with Superman because not only is he like, not only has Lex Luthor built himself to be the most accept- the most powerful man in the world through his wealth, but he's also like a perfect physical specimen as well. I think what no matter that, that I Superman would still. What you'd know. be better off is having uh, the Rock as more sort of a kingpin character in like the Spider-Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. realm. Someone who's huge, bulky, but also very sinister. That would be good, but yeah. Then again, try and cast Dwayne The Rock Johnson as a villain or anything. It's just not going to work. They need him as the beefy super human superhero yeah, guy. Uh, you could bust out an acoustic guitar and sing a song about how much Metropolis sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking deepest so cuts going. <laughs> In case listeners have got these jokes throughout the show, may I recommend Let Me Tell You Something, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, <laughs> and my co-host, Simon Cross... Yeah. Discuss the matters of wrestling. Oh god, it's so much cross promotion. I feel sick. <laughs> My last, last, last note of the whole film is just two words: Canadian intelligence. Oh come on now, <laughs> that's uncalled for. I just don't see why they bother. <laughs> hey, Trudeau needs his intel. Okay, I suppose. I suppose. Is that what, like, half of the SNL cast and writers are? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we were uh, we were out in the field, uh, just just gathering data, and then they said, uh, "Do you want to come and play like uh, Wayne's World characters?" And we're like, "Okay." <laughs> no one suspected us because we were so polite, eh? Genuinely, as as she leaves, she says, "Thank you." <laughs> She's like, "I've just saved your life. I've stopped you from being killed." As she walks out, she goes, "Thank you." And it's just like, <laughs> "Would you like a crawler?" <laughs> They're the most polite people. She'll be going. She'll be going to the the uh, the corner shop. She'll be buying him a thank you card, sending it off to Mister Bond. Well, that's great, isn't it? Because he's got like his CIA guy. He's got his French spy mate. His Canadian spy mate be like, "Hey, how's it going there, Jamie?" It's like sailors have got a gun in every port. He's got a different agent in every agency. I got you, Tim Hortons. Do you fancy? <laughs> oh, God. Now I've got to talk to my Italian guy. Hey, Diego. How's it going? Diego? <laughs> yeah, Diego Dallo. That's what I was basing it on. Oh, okay. That's the last of my notes for this film. I, I did make one final note. And here's the, the, the surprising thing. We've been shitting on this film for the last, what, hour and a half, give or take. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote down, not going to lie, it's a bit better than I remember it being. Yep. Yeah, I honestly have rated this film a five out of ten, and I'll give my full rankings in a in a follow up episode. But honestly, out of the twenty four bomb films I saw, I'm ranking this one at twelve. So it's like mid table. It it was you know at the start, especially with the the car scene at the start, and then generally I I was a bit, oh, what's going on? But as as you as I went through it, I found myself enjoying it more, and it kind of. Yeah. It grows as you go through it, and by the end of it, you're like, "Oh, the second half was actually really good." It was like, you know, the, yeah. f- the first half was a bit rubbish, but then, like, the first half was like a nil-nil when you're like, "Nothing's happening," and then you get <laughs> three goals in the second half. You're like, "Actually, that was all right," uh, you know. Unless you're a Villa fan, and it depends which three goals you want. <laughs> what what side of the pitch it was coming from? Um, but I, I don't. I still don't think it's a great film or a good Bond film. I think it's decent. I think it gets a lot of shit, more shit than it deserves. I definitely prefer it to Spectre. Spectre pissed me off on just a wide range of things. Uh, I think, I think that, Quantum uh, of Solace, fair, I, admire its, I admire its reach, even if it missed it. To be fair to Spectre, I think a lot of its downfall was the information leak that they had from, was it Sony Pictures who were running it at the time? And oh. a lot of the information came out way ahead of the time. They kept going, no, no, he's not He's not Blofeld. Don't look... He's not. Whoa. He's not blow. Stop looking. It's Christoph. You remember him in Inglorious Bastard? No, no. He's not blow. He might be blow. He's not blow. <laughs> don't be silly. Look at him. He's got hair. Don't don't, don't be as absurd. It might be blow. <laughs> and it's always played with. Like someone pointed out, it's played with so much significance in the film that in the actual scene doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like that bit in the in the Star Trek Into Darkness where he goes, "My name is." Khan. Like at that point, Jungle Kirk should have just gone. Okay, yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, What's your point? Okay. Um, so, do, do we call I you know. John or Khan? Yeah. <laughs> uh, either will do. We 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 don't really know who you are. But the dumbest thing about that whole thing was making Bond and Blofeld long lost oh. adopted. Why? <laughs> Why did what you need the... that? And like this is that whole thing of trying to make it a universe, an expanded universe, and trying to get this whole MCU idea and cramming it in. And it's funny actually when you watch it because it's obviously in this film that's what they wanted Quantum to be because at that mm. point they didn't have the rights to Spectre and they wanted Bond to have to fight a Spectre, so they just invented one and called them Quantum to justify using Quantum of Solace as a title. Yeah, Lorcan, 
you you want to do Spectre now, don't you? Well, I can't. I'm not going to do another hour and a half. I'll just say that I think Spectre is a worse film than Quantum of Solace. But I will say, so yeah, what I'll say is nice about it is that they actually did give Olga Kurylenko's character her own internal story. You know, she has a clear goal that she's working alongside James Bond to achieve, and she's there actually to help Bond out that they're both learning things from each other about revenge and the futility of it almost but still wanting to get revenge at the end of it mm. and that she's not used essentially as a sex object she's still a stunningly beautiful woman wearing you know revealing clothing throughout the whole thing she's know. still a woman who at one point is basically given as part of a trade <laughs> yes and and it is implied that she's been having sex with Dominic Green purely in the hopes that she'll be able to stick around long enough to kill the the army general mm. what it's, you know it, it, so it's one step that, that, it's for one step reason. forward it's many steps back so yeah saying something nice that's my one olga fundamentally you can't make a left-wing bond film and this is as close as a film's come to try and do it the left-wing bond film is the born films because in that the cia are the villains the american government is the villains in a bond film he can never be you know against mi6 because against because he went government. to eaton I no, mean, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't make a left-wing Bond film when Bond is basically a Tory. Yeah. yeah. What it should have been is that it would have turned out that M knows all about this, and she goes, "Yeah, we've made a deal with them, just like that CIA guy did. We're just annoyed it wasn't for the oil." Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all. I, 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 watching this film and thinking about the character, it, it does take me straight back to like Idols and one of their song lyrics is, "I don't care about the next James Bond. He calls for country queen and God. We don't need another murderous tough. We just." I just wonder where the high street's gone. Poetry. Yeah. Fucking poetry. That's what we need. Yeah, so to talk about Bond, because we, we've discussed it before, Tom Mayhew, do you have any opinions on uh, any of the following categories of uh, which Bond is the best-looking Bond, which Bond is the best-dressed Bond, which Bond would be the best shag, uh, which Bond would win a battle royal fight between the Bonds, which Bond would be the best spy, and which Bond would be the most fun on the night out? Do you have opinions on any of those categories? Don't they all dress exactly the same? Exactly well... what everyone else has said. You never see one of them in like a tracksuit, do you? That would be good, though. Bond, it? have you been to Abercrombie and Fitch? <laughs> Bond's tracksuit would be velour. Just oh. Bond, uh, just, Maybe Sean just... Connery's version, yeah. I wonder. I want a Bond who goes like, oh, you're right, Em, do you like my T-shirt? Yeah, yeah, two, £2 pound from charity shop. Right, isn't it? You know. uh, Primark. Alright, <laughs> well then, who do you think is the best looking Bond? Do you have an opinion just, on just that? Him, I just him going like the shop's Primark. <laughs> Primark in, in, in Watford, that one, yeah. So, um... <laughs> Primark. <laughs> Again, like, the, the, the suit budget for James Bond is insane. <laughs> The shops. Unless he's coming out of his salary, I don't know. Shops uh, condoms. The shops heart yeah. foundation. British heart <laughs> foundation. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Mr. Mayhew, do you have an opinion on the best looking Bond, most handsome Bond? I mean, it's difficult because they're all kind of supposed to be attractive, aren't they? I don't really know how people would. Uh... I guess the most attractive would probably be. Well, I mean, technically now, Daniel Craig, because he's the youngest one, so... <laughs> if we, it... I don't know, Brosnan's still a bit of a silver fox. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he'd fucking sing Mamma Mia in the bedroom, you know. That's true, that is true. Can't be doing with that. <laughs> 
So you don't think he'd be a good shag either? So you don't have an opinion on the, which said, one would be the best shag? For the best shag, I've said definitely not Craig, because his full play is going, oh, have you found yeah. my pencil, mate? <laughs> Come, help me. Look for all of my pencils in my pencil case. Oh, I've dropped my sharpener somewhere. Can you find it for me? Well, favorite, his favourite scene in any show is the peep show scene in the stationery cupboard. <laughs> I would have loved it if that scene was him going like, oh, can you help me uh, find my stationery? And she was all like, oh, we're going to get it on. And then the next scene is just him going, look at this multicoloured pen, mate. Look. <laughs> got five I mean, different colours. I mean, so many staplers and no staples. What the fuck is the point? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie, I've used that exact phrase in the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that he's also one of the ones that gets the permanent marker and has to sniff it before he uses it. Just get that little <laughs> tiny high. Okay. <laughs> Let's highlight some shit. But <laughs> uh, well, the Megadesk does it. No! To hell with the Megadesk! <laughs> uh, to think Moneypenny gets to use these every day. <laughs> Just going, Bond, have you got a highlighter on the desk again? No, no, someone else did it. <laughs> Miss Moneypenny crying to M. He used me. What, for sex? No, for my stationery. <laughs> He's happy than Ryman's. <laughs> we got post-its of seven different sizes. I didn't know they came that large. <laughs> okay, so which bomb will win a battle royal fight between the six of them? Well, I... Mm-hmm. Again, assuming they're all in their physical prime, so you know you're not going to say like, a 92 year old Sean Connery probably still would beat Pierce Brosnan up. To be fair, <laughs> well, I I kind of think you know if it's a battle royale with with weapons, it'd probably be <laughs> it would be Brosnan because he's probably used to the more modern technology. He's probably got more sort of. Uh, tricks off his sleeve but if it nah, was it's bare knuckles stripped to the waist oh well then i think that, again <laughs> that would be probably daniel craig stripped to the waist yeah. i think he would just uh he would beat all the shit out of them and exactly. just uh, the early ones only know judo the, the later ones are trained in like beating the living shit out of people in pubs <laughs> <laughs> that's the official name of the uh, mi5 course <laughs> yeah that's uh that's the new mma Category, just yeah. pop fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, all those Russian subcategory versions of it. Have you seen that five on five MMA they do in Russia? No. Just the first team that loses a fighter, they're fucked because then whoever's won it just goes over and starts kicking the other. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. It's like those Russian slapping championships as well, and you oh see guys with arms insane. like fucking machinery and just slapping, and you've, oh. I've seen ones where they've slapped a guy so hard in the face, you watch his soul exit his body, <laughs> return, and exit like seven times. And they have to get smelling salts to revive him, like, Jesus. It is incredible. Which bomb would be the best actual spy? Just doing proper spy work, do you reckon? Probably uh, David Niven. <laughs> oh, now. No one would actually recognise him for a start, so he'd probably be all right. It's like, I'd recognise Niven, but I would not recognise Lazenby if you tried. <laughs> oh, he was he was a close second. I think they'd both be very good. Um, and which bomb would be the most fun on the night out? Well, I mean, Brosnan would take you to karaoke. <laughs> he'd be straight there and he'd be like oh I'm going to sing this Abba song he'd be like oh again alright Brosnan <laughs> uh, are there any actors that you think could make a good James Bond that you would like to see 
you mentioned him earlier, and I know he's not British, so people would hate it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> oh, that would be interesting. I think he's, he's, he's charismatic. He's He's got the charm. You know, he could be like, you know, oh, can you smell what James Bond is cooking? He could do that. <laughs> You wouldn't be the best inconspicuous spy. I know Bond's never great at, like, hiding anyway, but... We'd just love to see someone be like, uh... Him be like, oh, you know, can I have it shaken, not stirred? And they go, actually, it's it's better stirred. It doesn't matter what you think! <laughs> that would be great, him just cutting promos on all the villains. <laughs> well, like, because I... I genuinely, I do think, you know, m- moving on from Craig, they probably, they want to make the next Bond more... You know, every Bond has to have their own thing. They have to be a bit yeah. more different. And I think the next one does have to be a bit uh, more warm and charming. Yeah, I think that's why I've said my pick is Henry Golding from the uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And um, The Gentleman was something he was in this year where they did reference him as a James Bond at some point. I think they will want to go with like the suave. I think it'll just make him a bit sillier and a bit more fun. Yeah, that was that's the biggest problem yeah. with Spectre was they tried to make it a bit sillier and it just didn't work with Daniel Craig's Bond, really. No, his his Bond's very uh, very serious. It doesn't... Mm. You can't... I mean, that's what I, I like about Casino Royale and what I do... It's not as good, but what I do like about this is that it has got its own flavour, yeah. its own taste. Yeah. They're yeah, not, no, they've no. not just cast another person given him a, a Broston script or a Connery script. They've gone, no, we've mm. got our own thing we're trying to do. And I do respect that. But uh, they do have to go away from that because I wouldn't want them just to put, you know, a Christian Bale and get him to do the same thing. I'd be like, no, we've seen this. Yeah. We don't need this again with a different face. Well, I think that's why the first Kingsman in particular was such a big hit because it was like, let's take everything that you love from Bond films that they're refusing to do with the Daniel Craig Bonds and just amp them up, you know. What does a 2016 version of a Roger Moore Bond film look like? Mm. And it looks like Colin Firth gunning down an entire church to Freebird. <laughs> you know? Or I'd put, I'd put Michael Bell as James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we didn't really note that Mr. Michael Bell's not been absent in this episode because he's currently in Bolivia trying to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of Michael trying to insert Michael Bell into a Bond scene now. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bell would actually be in it for the stationery. <laughs> I see I definitely see Mr. Bell as more of like a Bond villain, so do you expect me to talk, Mr. Bell? Uh I guess so no. Yeah, do what do what you like. I'm not really fussed. Have you been to Edinburgh? I'm really good, a really a really indifferent Bond villain. Who's just yeah. slightly annoyed when Bond turns up, but not like, ah, Mr. Bond, you foiled me. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake, will you just piss off? <laughs> did did no one just shoot him in the head? Did you lower him into the tank again? He's always going to get out from there. He can swim, you know. There was someone in Quantum of Solace who did, uh, when, when Bond goes, who are you working for? He just went, oh, piss off, mate. <laughs> someone said that. So Michael Bell could be that character. It's perfectly all right. <laughs> Just piss off, mate. Just... I definitely. My name is Bourne. Get over yourself, mate. Jesus. I, I can definitely see Michael Bell being more like Q. Like, yeah. stop touching everything. Uh. <laughs> God, you're so boring. Uh, is there any path, avenue you would like to see Bond, Bond films go down that would be something different? Like we were saying in the previous episode, I would love to see 
a Bond film that actually explores Britain. That was one of the things I liked about Skyfall and, and even Spectre, that they pretty much the whole of the second half of Skyfall takes place in London and the Scottish Highlands and yeah, I was, the I was final pro- sequence I was, in Sp- I was proper excited just being like, oh my god, he's on the tube. Like, literally, yeah. just, it's so simple, but it's... It's so rare you see that in a big blockbuster, you know. Yeah, like, but I would love it if they explored it even more, like the idea of Bond having to go around Britain and not just like the the sites, but the idea of like Bond having to meet a contact who's in like a in a housing estate or something, just somewhere because they're always going to like the glamorous poor of like the Brazilian slums or something like that or Haiti. Well, in in Bond, it would be like going to like Tile Hill in Coventry or something like that, you know. <laughs> I think that'd be really interesting. Just like I said, I would like to see Bond in Manchester or Liverpool or Cardiff, Fun, or Birmingham. Fun benefits. <laughs> yeah, just see Bond in in a, somewhere other than London. See Bond in Edinburgh. See Bond in well, Bond in Belfast would be an interest. I think actually this is the first film. <laughs> That ever references the IRA in a Bond film, I think it's in one of these that they mention the IRA. Like in the whole of the seventh, the whole of the troubles, the IRA is never mentioned once. Just like I mean, really, none of the Bond films they ever talked about like uh, Islamist extremists or anything like that. They never actually really want to touch the hot button issues of today, and except for Quantum of Solace, sort of makes a, a half effective attempt at that, you know, or. You know, we were talking about Bond being played by someone, you know, like a black actor or or an Asian actor. Mm. And then the idea of, like, Bond going to India, but it's, like, Dev Patel or someone like that. British Empire, the legacy of that, you know? That'd be really interesting to do. Or if, like, someone... I remember reading an article and they said, like, if you did cast Idris Elba as Bond, well, where what's his heritage from? Is he for like the son or the grandson of the wind of the Windrush generation? And if Bond goes to Jamaica, can he speak to the locals in Patois? Is this Bond? Is that what this James Bond grew up? Or are you just going to write for the traditional James Bond character, but just insert a black or an Asian or a female in the role and just not make any other changes to it? Is it even worth the effort? You know. Mm. Sorry, I've got really. No, no, you're no, you're you're spot on, and I do. It's it's that thing where part of me feels like these characters should represent everyone but then also i'm like yeah but you want them to do it properly because otherwise i'd rather they had their own series or their own thing you know you don't want them just to do it for some bullshit tokenistic reason where they don't actually make it at all relevant i wouldn't see i wouldn't see the point of you know keeping the same script and just casting elba i I don't it would kind of not make sense yeah maybe the next one could be that um James Bond discovers uh, Marxist theory, and it's just him taking down the <laughs> British government. Uh, do you have any opinions on this, Mr. Hopkinson? Not really. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, it was like Michael Bell was in the room. Voice talking. <laughs> well, that, I think we've covered enough of Bond that we can. It's now time for a. Hey, you! Don't watch that! Watch this! Mr. Mayhew, what we do in this one is we don't bother making recommendations for Bond. It's just, if you, you know it, you'll know what are the good ones. You'll know what have got the reputation for the bad ones. So we ask our guests to give uh, one or two recommendations of some of their favourite British films. No Any genre, no connection to Bond necessary. If you were to recommend some British films that maybe you don't think enough people uh, know about that you love, are there any recommendations you can make for us today? 
well it's not an obscure film um no, it doesn't have to be but i i i just feel like the the one thing that's missing from the daniel craig bond films and i'm a big fan of daniel craig i think he's you know he's probably one of if not the best one but the one thing it doesn't have it doesn't really have a light-hearted side it's not got a silly side so and even though i know this film is not critically acclaimed some people probably wouldn't like it but i liked it when i was you know 12 13 so i'm gonna recommend johnny english ah fair enough i must admit i never saw it i grew up on the commercials that it was based on but i never saw the uh have they made three of those now they have and all of them are similarly kind of on the uh like the the mid thirties on the Rotten Tomato scale, so I know they're not uh, they're never going to win Oscars, but I hey I can remember watching them when I was when I was younger, and I think if you want something that's a bit of a spy spoof, that's a bit doesn't take itself as seriously. It's a bit sillier. It's um it's a bit more light hearted. I would say they're they're yeah they're worth a watch. They're good funny. But the the, you... the first one is I've not seen the uh, the hmm. other two. Have you seen any of them, Tom? Hodkinson? Uh, I remember seeing the first one in school. It was one of those videos I got put on when the real teacher was away, so they bring in a substitute who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. So yeah, that was one of those things. If we're going with spy spoofs, it's not British, but definitely the Austin Powers films. Yes. If are along the same lines. I think I uh, I attached more to them than Johnny English, but you know, it's it's got its place. It would actually be quite a fun thing to return because I always wanted to see Wayne's World come back, do a Wayne's World three when new metal was huge, uh, and like Wayne yeah. being completely out of place there. Have either of you seen the new uh, Bill and Ted film? Yeah, no, I haven't. No, I really wish they just stuck to the two films. If I'm being honest, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was good as the first two, but I didn't mind it. It was nice enough. What it was, it was. I liked its upbeat energy in general it was something you needed at that time i'll happily it's watch samara weaving in anything i think she's great but uh it just didn't it, it felt so unnecessary to me it didn't feel necessary but i thought it was fine um but yeah it's so, not, it's so not something the, i, would I say think that's what i fear is like when you keep you making these things like the, the yeah. making a second coming to america film that's oh is that, yeah that on amazon now yeah but like i said i just saw cobra kai and that is so much better than it has any yeah, right to be. So it just it depends played, on the. It played with the idea and it saw more from William Zabka's yeah. uh, character's point yeah, of view. That is it? true. So yeah. it, it plays with the idea of is is uh, is Danny like the hero or the villain of the piece? Mm. Whereas this would just be like, oh, here's the characters again. Like I've just seen the yeah. trailer today for the Saved by the Bell reboot, and it, I yeah. just want to pull out my own eyes. Well, and throw they them they the seem road. to want to. They seem to actually be trying to do like a, a left wing Saved by the Bell because the idea is that all these kids from like an inner city area get brought into this very rich school. Um, so there might be an interesting kind of countercultural thing. I'll, but they I'll don't give it need a chance. To make the characters but... all related to the previous characters. They no, don't need no, to you do don't that. need to do that. You don't need to do that. I would um, like. I would like a spin off of uh, James Bond that uses the idea of him getting all his cards cancelled. And it's just a film as an hour of him just trying to get by. He's just try, trying to pawn stuff off at the local pawnbroker. It's like, look, it, this this is a Rolex. I'm sorry, my friend, I can only give you five pounds. Yeah, it's a this fucking... Is... This was issued to me by Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> just in cash converters and stuff like that. But you're like, yeah. come on, mate, that, you know. That I could happily watch. Or if you're going to do something like that, I'd love to watch, like, you know what would be brilliant? It's a small YouTube series of like 
trying to invent inventions for James Bond, <laughs> like the Q is, but they keep fucking up. Like it's yeah. a jetpack and it's it's solar powered, and then it just starts going dark, and he ends up falling flat on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a sitcom to be made out of Q Branch. Well, I even, don't dispute that. Even what does Money Penny do? <laughs> yeah. She's not waiting for James Bond to throw a hat at her and not fuck her. As local will know, what I like to do is occasionally go on IMDb with the yes. films that we watch. Not just do a, a, a fact check. We got most of the facts out of the way. It was kind of a boring film, so there wasn't really that much fact to go through. But one thing I do like to do is I like to find the international titles... Yeah. <laughs> of each film and translate them back to English. And for Quantum of Solace. For Quantum of Solace, because I, I tried it with like Diamonds Are Forever and there it was always like, Diamonds Are you know Always, Ten. and it was kind of obvious. For Quantum of Solace, you get a bit of a variety. So, in Bulgaria... Just, before that, though, I just want to remember, I just remember because you were talking about the Joe Cornish song. Because it was a battle between him and Adam and Joe to do a different song for Quantum of Solace. Yeah. And I've just remembered the lyrics to Adam's version of it, which was, All I want is some solace, but only a quantum. I know they do big bags of solace, but I don't want them. Yeah. And <laughs> so it's along the same lines here. In Bulgaria, you've got Spectrum of Consolation. Oh. <laughs> In Croatia, you would have been watching A Grain of Comfort. <laughs> in Estonia, that's like a review of the film. Like, I've got some, I've got some other ideas for that. So, Spectrum of Consolation. That's like all the prizes in Bullseye that you, you, you get. Like and the, special the prize, the Spectrum of Consolation. <laughs> and what was the other one called? A Grain of Comfort. That's like a BBC sitcom about an old woman who's trying to deal with widowed life. Yeah. <laughs> Estonia Estonia would have given you a little consolation. <laughs> In Hungary, you've got the silence of quantum, Hannibal Lecter style. In that Ira- makes no sense for the film. <laughs> yeah. In, Ir- In Iraq, it's, it brings consolation. So, yeah, I mean, the title is obviously meant to be... The whole film is meant to be Bond getting over Vespa. That is what the quantum of solace is. Like, just some sense of being able to get over it to feel something for it because like i said that's the problem with this film instead of it like just follow like doing its own thing it's trying to suck the life out of uh, casino royale so instead of casino royale being a two and a half hour great film they kind of tried to turn it with this into a four and a half hour okay film that really has a drop off in quality <laughs> at the halfway point you know yeah. So it so it kind of dilutes what makes Casino Royale so effective in the first place, in my opinion, obviously. One of my notes in the in the run up to this literally was we're thirty minutes away from the end. Oh, that's one thing I'd like to say for uh, say something nice. It was yeah. it was the shortest Bond film ever yeah, made, yeah. and thank fuck wow. for that because otherwise I would have been bored a lot longer. Um, it makes you wonder, like, was there loads of stuff that just didn't work? Because usually with those sort of films where you hear how short they are, it's usually a bad sign. It's like they've packed this to the bone. The fuck, yeah. yeah. Um, I, my note I did make, though, was we're 30 minutes away from the end. I genuinely can't see how they're going to tie this all up. <laughs> it it is feel, quick. Like, the final scene is, like, the, the whole hotel from getting past reception to blowing it all up <laughs> is about seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tom Mayhew, how can people who enjoyed this episode, if they want to get some more information about yourself, where can they go online? Yeah, how plug time. Plug you? time. Oh, yep. um, get get your get your 
socials as? Uh, well, um, I'm on Twitter at Tom Mayhew. That's the one I use the most. I've also got a Facebook page, YouTube channel. I think everyone's got a YouTube channel. I've probably got a SoundCloud somewhere. All over the place. Just, just type my name in and then I've got a website as well. So just go to there and it's all there. What will the radio show be called? Because there's a decent chance it might be out when we put this one up online. Oh, it's still got a, a work. Oh, still got, still a, work got a working title at the okay, moment. Okay, so but, uh, let's if you say, just, you know, just type find, in Tom Mayhew Radio Four, it'll pop up. I guess. Yeah, just find find it on BBC Sounds. It will surely be there still. Yeah, I'll be on there. Yeah. If you have, if you can't get it live, you might as well download it later. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, that's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L A for application and for notification that's my twitter handle instagram facebook letterbox if you put that gmail.com at the end of it that's my email address as i previously mentioned i have a podcast called let me tell you something i also have another podcast that might be out by the time you're listening to this called 21st films where myself and a different guest will talk about a film that was released 21 years before tom has already booked himself a place mr hodkinson and mr mayhew will be uh, perusing the menu of films i've offered him and hopefully he will also make an appearance on that one as well Tom Hodkinson, how can people get in touch with you and your comedy group? Hey guys, Tom Hodkinson here. If you're like me and you like your comedy, silly, and you can find the Kamikaze <laughs> Club at the Kamikaze Club, Kamikaze Club HQ at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me personally uh, at Tom Hodkinson, spell Tom with an H, not Hom, Tom. And you can find me on pretty much anything, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Bebo, Have a Hotel, um, <laughs> outside of most people's kitchens. You know, I'll, I'll be there. Yeah, so that is the end of our four-part Bond review. And then we'll also follow that up with an episode when No Time to Die becomes available through whatever means they'll end up, like... <laughs> Throwing it, throwing it out of a high story window, DVDs from it, and people will catch it. Uh, and and Mr. Mayhew, if you get chance to watch that film, watch it, and uh, if you can send us a little two minute capsule review of what you felt, then that would be great. I will do. Yeah, um, yeah. But other than that, thank you so much for joining us for this. I hope you've had a good time. I have. I think my, my my main review will be be going like, "Where's the broom man gone? Why is he not in it?" <laughs> I want we'll more broom. Home. Yeah, we're gonna start. Like, this the is like the, this is a new more cowbell. <laughs> in in thirty five years time, we'll get broom man, the Cobra Kai, to this. The <laughs> kid. What's, what's he doing well, now? Anyway. I want to know. He'll be launching a, a computer-based game called Mime Sweeper. Hey! Thank you. I've been waiting to deploy that for the last two fucking hours. And we're not gonna. That is the equivalent of jump Bond jumping off the mountainside and opening up his Union Jack parachute. We are out of here. Thank you very much. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode that will sum it all up. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.